Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining me again today. It is such a pleasure, by the way, to uh, learn about all the people that are listening from all different parts of the world. It's a lot of fun for me, seated here in the Big Apple, New York City, and knowing that uh, these words and these ideas, most important, are permeating different pockets of the globe where people are sitting up and tuning in and paying close attention to a lot of what it is that's going on. You know, you could say that in some ways uh, this new administration in the United States has awakened many people from slumber and they realize that they better pay close attention if they don't want our world to utterly, completely unravel uh, and to maintain some level of stability, emotional, physical, intellectual, while we are being guided, unfortunately, by uh, someone who is seemingly very uneducated, almost to the point of illiterate in way too many respects, certainly not all, and uh, has a rather narrow bandwidth of understanding the depth and breadth and uh, multidimensional nature of even the physical realm of understanding the layered complexity of diplomatic relationships, for instance, or discussing and negotiating, in fact, with people of different mindsets and embracing other perspectives, other ideologies, even if provisionally, in order to engage fruitful dialogue and conversation. So, President of the United States, in some ways, is President of the world, and I don't think that that's a very good thing. Uh, I just think that because of the United States' rather singularly strong military might, they've sort of made it this way. And uh, there are many Americans who are in severe disagreement and non-alignment with this uh, kind of global game plan that has been spelled out in documents such as the Project for a New American Century, which lays out a blueprint, if you will, of dominance. And I can tell you, uh, with some level of comfort and security that most Americans do not dream of any such thing, do not desire any such thing, and are kind of fun-loving and peace-loving people as people are all over the planet and want good for all beings, not just themselves. It is um, not at all reasonable to make assumptions about the American people. That is just the people who live here <clears throat> on this landmass as being represented by the very, very minute portion of its uh, elected officials. It just doesn't go that way. Or even by the unelected officials in high positions in government, such as, uh, or even State Department. And within the government, there are many very, very good people who have a sense of justice and equity, 
people with justice don't necessarily and don't frequently belong or participate in the Justice Department. That's another irony with which we all live. But truly, there are good people everywhere populating every level of society, whether it's the even social economic elite or those with very, very little, economically speaking. What do we use as our measuring stick of a life well lived? Is it really money? I don't think so. I don't think so. There's a tremendous, tremendous um, uh, volume of perspectives that don't factor money in much at all for a life well lived. As you move further west, it becomes more and more a uh, more important consideration. But <clears throat> as far as all of the hemispheres of the planet go, it just doesn't really uh, hold water. So that, that's a whole other conversation. I want to turn to the description of tonight's talk, which is Mitchell, yours truly, on Inner and Outer Ecology, Human Psychology and Climate Change. The environmental state of the planet is becoming increasingly dire, and those wielding the largest levels of power in the United States are in denial of the reality of the situation that is articulated by climatologists around the world. Science is not simply a, quote, belief system, unquote, on the level of others and requires careful review and scrutiny. This evening, i.e. now, uh, I'll be looking at the landscape of our inner ecology, our psycho-emotional condition, and from there, we'll look out to the world, out there, our outer ecological landscape. This is not a partisan issue. This is not a political issue, although it's been politicized. It is a matter of life and death, of creativity and destruction. The call to be calm and level-headed, yet very thoughtful and strategic as a collective, as a species, at this point, beyond ordinary definitions and identity, is imperative. Looking at the geological changes taking place, the Arctic and permafrost melts, methane release, rainforest destruction will be taking place in this evening's talk. How do we, can we, make peace with the reality of the utter decimation of our planet by the forces largely in government and corporate power? How do we deal with the fact that the current president of the United States is embracing policy contrary to clear science he is dismantling the EPA and saber-rattling with the most powerful nuclear powers on the planet. Can we remain centered in the midst of such irrational, confused behavior of top officials and with our humanity intact? So it is, folks. Welcome to a better world. Put on your seatbelt. <clears throat> well... You've heard me before. 
speak about these very, very uh, important topics. And, you know, you could ask the question, why? There's so many fun things to talk about. We could talk about music and its power in the psyche and the heart of transforming our chakras into this wonderful unified field. We could talk about the beauty of art, the irony in so much theater, the importance of laughter, of dance, of, of, of fun, of sports. It's all true. <clears throat> Looking at film as a powerful conveyor of story, power of story, the beauty of relationships, how to resolve conflict, the joy of, of sex, the Tao of sex, looking at what it's like to live a life of deep contemplation and access the higher levels of our psyche and of our heart, a la the work of the Institute of Heart Math, which I've referenced so many times over the years. We could look at astronomy, astrology. We could look at cosmology. We can look at the world of UFOs and intelligent life in other pockets of our vast universe. All of this is fantastic, and it's all part of a whole. It's all, all part of a holistic dynamism, a micro-macro relationship, which I'm speaking about really all the time. <clears throat> but looking at our habitat, and taking into consideration the fact that oxygen itself is diminishing through our industrial, commercial, and personal habits, our programming to be consumers, and that always cheaper is better, and more profit is better. All of these peculiar myths with which we live, these peculiar paradigms that don't add up to much at the end of the day, but in fact literally borrow on life. They may seem, according to society's picturing, to be of value, but I'm suggesting that in large measure the opposite is true. Now, I use the word identity when referring to our, basically our development. We have an identity as a physical being. I mean, while we learn and then might feel or sense or intuit that we have a higher level being called the soul that might be very non-physical in general, um, when we're born into this world, we really have our identity as a physical creature, organism, being, really rather intact. Do we not? I mean, it's just kind of the way it is. Out of which grows uh, personality and uh, a way of identifying values, priorities, considered to be funny, 
what we consider important and not important. And we create a hierarchy, if you will, a hierarchy of values, sort of the way Maslow talked about. <clears throat> and uh, out of this, you know, we begin to carve and sculpt a self that has a series of values and levels of virtue and weaknesses and sore spots and dark sides that seem to just accompany uh, the development inside of human society, what we refer to as an outgrowth of civilization. Sometimes a word used a little too loosely for my taste, but I think you know what I mean. So we want to look at the subject of identity because first we're identifying, I'm suggesting, with our full reality and then we take another step and we identify with our emotional reality and then our mental. And those ideas and identities begin to shape us and shape our largesse, but also shapes our limitedness. That's fine. We always have the imagination, what I call God's greatest gift, to lift us out of the doldrums, to bring us sky high, if you will, that can project us into the very core of the universe itself, even if just as a means of um, disidentifying for at least a bit of time with our body which and our entire material reality which we hold so dear, it is as though it's life itself. Well, it sure includes life. That's what I'm saying. It does include life, but it's not all of life. As I've discussed on this show many times, the whole subject of life after death, um, because life continues, because there really is no death. There's the death, figuratively, of um, a transformation of physical reality, i.e., the body degrades and ultimately disintegrates and turns into dirt, earth, soil, and thereby regenerates more life. So, really, life doesn't end. It just changes. And I don't know why this is not more embedded as I'm saying it, in our in our culture, it's always that death is this kind of a <clears throat> bad thing that we know is inevitable, but we sort of make believe it ain't going to be happening to us. You know what I mean. There's this peculiar psychological buffer we have about death. We don't even like to say the word. It's not morbid even really exist. <laughs> so when you come to that perspective, life and death in another form of life becomes truly a dynamic whole. We don't have to worry about passing out of existence. We just pass on into another existence. And I'm not going to go on about that because we've done so many shows and there's such an abundance of literature 
uh, uh, Proof of Heaven, Raymond Moody, who's been on the show, Life After Life, um, just uh, it goes on and on, the afterlife of Billy Fingers, we've had the author of that book on, and Julia Asante, who is a biblical and ancient Near East scholar, medical intuitive as well, who's written uh, an extraordinary book on these subjects. So not going and pointing more at this moment in that direction, but I am making a point, which is that what we identify with becomes sort of uh, the focal point of our consciousness. And that's fine. And that's fine. And even though we have an entire vertical axis to our lives, both physical, metaphysical, energetic, and on, it is our job to be focused on the horizontal and look at life in the 3D reality that we so identify with. And it's for good reason. We've been given the charge of caring for our body as temple and our planet as temple. And so therefore, our human species as a collective, as a group, as a family, as a team, to get things done, even in some ways as a corporate, in the literal sense, corporate entity. (laughs) Of course, the word corporate comes from corps, French, which means body, and of course, going back to the Latin, meaning virtually the same thing. We are one body, and we need to act in coordination, cooperation, and unison. In fact, that is really what has kept us alive for all of these years. It hasn't been because we've been killing each other off as survival of the fittest. No, it's because we have been cooperating with each other in many different ways and bonding, as Lynn McTaggart says in her book, The Bond, and citing a lot of neuroscientific research that shows that our hormones, one of my favorite, of course, is oxytocin, is just eager to come out through physical touch, affection, affinity, unity, and even having the idea of love and connection with others. The idea itself has enough energy in it to generate the release of oxytocin. Imagining, here we are again to imagine, imagining you are close with someone, that you love someone, that you are hugging and holding another member of our species is enough to generate the hormone. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of our collective proclivity toward bonding, our entire cultural social norm of engagement, of courtesy, of politeness, of smiling, of laughing, of joke-telling, of storytelling, of dancing together, of singing together, are all beautiful examples of who we are at base as a species. 
we're not spending our time kind of hunting each other down and eating each other. In general, if you look historically, I think what you'll see is much more cooperation among people. And indeed, we, because of the complexity of human language and personality, uh, probably karma thrown in, we do have a lot of baggage on our plates, on our table. And it's a lot to sort through, and people can get a bit thorny and difficult, and there's a lot to work out, and it brings us back to our reptilian functions because if we feel our lives are being threatened, we begin to think like survivalists instead of rationalists and creative types. You see how it works. So with all that said, we can begin to make sense, more sense, of where we are today. As we look out at the landscape of our horizontal world, always maintaining, by the way, a sense of the vertical as well, our connection to the rest of the universe, our remembering that it is there, both externally and internally, which is why I refer to inner and outer ecology. When you take all of this into consideration, it brings us to this idea that I have been speaking of for many years and is the title of the book that will come out called Sacred Stewardship, Awakening the Soul. Notion of sacred stewardship, that we have this sacred relationship to our habitat, to our planet. And this is our home this is our real home. And yes, within it, we have a subset of an address that we call our house. But the larger sensibility is that Earth is our home. Of course, you can expand that out and say this Milky Way galaxy is our home. That's true. But first, let's just get on with Gaia. <laughs> I like that. Get on with Gaia. You know, really make peace with who we are and what we've got and who we are to care for most immediately, most locally, most under our nose. From there, we can expand our sense of identity further and further as galactic and ultimately cosmic and universal beings. God bless and hallelujah, as we say in Chinese. And yet, we don't want to put the cart before the horse. We want to just kind of gallop slowly, <laughs> although we probably should start galloping a little faster these days because of the issues around climate change. So, <clears throat> say a few things about that. First is finding a point of balance inside ourselves as we listen to some rather harrowing information. You know, for many hundreds of years, we have done a a collective amount of damage. I'm not saying you and you and you and me, but we have been the inheritors of a tremendous amount of uh, industrial pollution. And this has tilted the overall homeostasis of our planet and of our bodies. 
We just know it. We know it. We can measure it. We know that there is uh, where there are valleys like in Los Angeles. We see the smog and there's no question about it. In 19th century England with all of the factories, people could hardly see each other in London town. You know, in Beijing, it's that way right now. So we know that we continue to do harm just to our lungs, let alone to uh, the earth and her sensitive ecosystemic balance. So we're generating more CO2 than we can absorb with our diminishing number of trees. I mean, it's one thing for us to exhale CO2. It's another thing for us to also fell a good number of the trees in the Amazon and the Congo, the two lungs of the planet, and then expect that the CO2 is going to get absorbed somehow magically somewhere else. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, it works that way to some extent because there's a compensatory factor in all of the ecosystem, which is utterly, completely remarkable as our own organ systems have compensatory functions as well. If someone's uh, liver, for instance, is not working properly or deficiently, believe it or not, the spleen, pancreas, and the kidney take over some of the liver's functionality. Well, how in the world could that be when these organs are really very, very different? They have a different chi. They have a different essence. They have a different energetic signature. Yet, perhaps it's because of stem cells, non-differentiated at first, know how to supplement the body's needs and meet the demands. You know, I'm not all that sure myself anatomically and physiologically how that works, but I do know it works. It happens. So in nature, there is a compensatory effect as well because we are nature. We are not separate from nature, even though we think of nature as out there because it's easier for our minds to conceive of there being an out there and an in here and an above and an abo- and a below. And there's a level of relative reality in which that is true. Uh, however, from the larger unified field perspective or absolute perspective, as the Buddhists might discuss, especially in Tibetan Buddhist psychology, um, it's a different scene. It's a different scene. The relative is no less than the absolute. It's just different. It's an aspect of the whole or an aspect of the absolute. It's no less true, and nor is it less important. It's just a different point of focus. You with me? Is that making sense? It might be sounding a little etheric or abstract, but uh, it all really does follow a certain inherent logic. So... Stay with me now. Stay with me. Listen with your skin and your gut as well as with your ears and your heart. And then it will all make sense. So, looking in outer ecology, what's 
did I want to share with you? What did I want to share with you? Uh, here we go. I'm going to just go to a climatologist, Guy McPherson, who is uh, uh, an impassioned scientist who has done a tremendous amount of research into climate science and has come up with some pretty harrowing facts and inferences as well about where we are as a planet. Um, and I will just share a little bit with you right now. This is from his website, Nature Bats Last. Ho, ho. The great dying wiped out at least 90% of the species on Earth due to an abrupt rise in global average temperature about 252 million years ago. The vast majority of complex life became extinct. Based on information from the most conservative sources available, Earth is headed for a similar or higher global average temperature in the very near future. Give me a date, please. The recent and near future rises in temperature are occurring and will occur at least an order of magnitude faster than the worst of all prior mass extinctions. Habitat for human animals is disappearing throughout the world, and abrupt climate change has barely begun. In the near future, habitat for Homo sapiens will be gone. Shortly thereafter, all humans will die. Wow. Well, that's pretty uh, definitive. <laughs> Do I agree? Well, yeah, we're all going to be dying. And, uh, but as a habitat, will the Earth no longer sustain Homo sapiens? It's a real possibility. And it might not just be the Earth not sustaining us, if we don't deal with some of the people who have their hands on buttons, um, it could be humans being their own worst enemy, which is true, I think, anyway. But it could not necessarily be that it's the climate that does us in, but our own confused psyches and lack of psychological, emotional and spiritual maturity that does, that does us in. Just looking at what's going on today with the uh, saber rattling with North Korea and the bombing of an air base in Syria. I mean, it's just madness. Is this the only kind of communication that human beings will hear? Or can diplomacy really work, i.e., people speaking to each other? What an idea! It's a brainstorm! How did it happen? <clears throat> but wherever we look, we do see storms, don't we? However, I am saying there is a sunny day. There really is a beautiful sunny day, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to deal with some of the harder points that we want to really uh, reckon with. So, on that note, I'm going to take a look at um, the uh, 
IPCC report comes from the scientists engaged, commissioned by the United Nations and its report. I'm just going to share with you a couple of details. But before that, I just want to let everyone know you are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. Thanks for joining us. We are on the air live every Wednesday at 6 p.m., with a few exceptions here and there. But we will be aired sometime during the week, but typically Wednesday at 6 p.m. And you can hear us, however, anytime in our radio archive at www.abetterworld.tv. Abetterworld.tv. And if you do not yet get our weekly free newsletter, please go to that same website, abetterworld.tv, and on the right-hand side it says, sign up here for our newsletter. So I invite you all to do that. We also have a weekly community cable television show here in the Big Apple, and you can watch it in Manhattan at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, of course, or daylight time, as the case may be. And, or you can watch it online from wherever you may be by simply going to the top of that same website, abetterworld.tv, and clicking where it says, click to watch, and then one more click where it says, watch live. And go in at about a minute or two to 7 o'clock New York time, and you'll catch the half-hour show <clears throat> every week. It's really interesting. This coming week is going to be Bruno Bruning and the Circle of Friends community that originates in Germany, although it's now an international enterprise that provides a free community group healing for all that participate, whether that's in person or online, or just through the music, mentally connecting and heartfully connecting to the community. And the results have been nothing short of staggering. They've been medically documented by the hooray of physicians that are on their board and in their group. And they'll be in New York and all over the United States, Florida and elsewhere, over the next month. So you'll want to really kind of tune in to Bruno Gruning. That's Bruno-Gruning, G-R-O-E-N-I-N-G dot org. Now, Bruno himself was born, I think it was in 1907, and passed in 1959. So here we go again. has nothing to do with his physical body, but a lot of this healing has something to do with his essence and the morphogenetic field that he helped to establish while he was physically on Earth. And that morphogenetic field, that biofield, continues on, having nothing to do with him being here physically or not. His soul and his essence remain informing the beings that open up to it. Now, if you think about it, maybe that's the case for everyone that we say has passed. That's just a linguistic 
and conceptual convenience, you know, but uh, past where? Just passed on into the next dimension, man. That's all, folks. So, you know, it depends on how wide you can open your mind. So that that's the announcement I wanted to make, that uh, Bruno will be on this coming Monday, and we will be having some other wonderful guests on very soon. So please do stay tuned to what's going on here at A Better World. You know, sometimes, in fact, fairly often, I like to just kind of sit down with, as we say in the south of the United States, y'all, down with y'all, and um, just talk, or as we say in Yiddishkeit, schmooze. Yes, talk. We want to talk. We want to just come to a deeper understanding as a group of those of you who listen in the United States, of course, those of you who listen in Australia and England and South Africa and um, Europe and elsewhere, Asia. Look, we're all in this together. That's why I call this a better world. We're all one family. And thankfully, we look very different. It makes for some very fun, diverse, and very sexy kinds of uh, aesthetics. So that's all a good thing. That's all a good thing. So here we are listening now to a couple of points that were made by the um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that was commissioned by the United Nations a couple of years back. Observe changes and their causes. Human influence on the climate system is clear, and recent anthropogenic emissions of greenhouse gases are the highest in history, i.e. recorded history. Recent climate changes have had widespread impacts on human and natural systems. True, observe changes in the climate system. Warming of the climate system is unequivocal, and since the 1950s, Many of the observed changes are unprecedented over decades to millennia. The atmosphere and ocean have warmed, the amount of snow and ice have diminished, and sea level has risen. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Causes of climate change. Anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions have increased since the pre-industrial era, driven largely by economic and population growth, and are now higher than ever. This has led to atmospheric concentrations of carbon dioxide, methane, and nitrous oxide that are unprecedented in at least the last 800,000 years. Their effects, together with those of other anthropogenic drivers, have been detected throughout the climate system and are extremely likely to have been the dominant cause of the observed warming since the mid-20th century. I think they could say 19th century also, and be equally, if not more, accurate. But that was my uh, slip of the tongue. Pardon. Impacts of climate change. In recent decades, changes in climate have caused impacts on natural and human systems on all continents and across the oceans. Impacts are due to observed climate change 
irrespective of its cause, indicating the sensitivity of natural and human systems to changing climates. Oh, God. <clears throat> Much to digest. I know that. I know that. Time for a little story. I was at the Union Square Farmer's Market today. I arrived there by riding my bike, which is the way I get around this town for the most part. And as I was passing through and I got some apples and I love just dwelling in the space, then I do something that we say is quelling, quelling in the dwelling of Union Square Farmer's Market. It's the largest of all the markets in New York. And when you're there and strolling through, it feels like you've transcended the urban environment and it's replaced with a farm. It feels and smells good. Anyway, it's really... It's really uplifting, frankly, to go. And as I was leaving, I passed a Native American gentleman who had signs up about Standing Rock. And he was educating people and taking donations to help. He flies between North Dakota and New York City to do this, to uh, educate people about it and to raise money for the efforts that so many people from all over the world have been making out at Standing Rock. And, you know, we asked the question relative to our inner and outer ecology, what can we do? How can we unify our own inner field, unify it, and then take some action in the outer world, the outer field? Well, this gentleman was doing just that. And we can, too. We can give, we can donate, we can pray, we can send love, we can intend, we can work on the mental levels, on the spiritual levels, as well as the physical. Many people have gone out there to have written letters to the powers that be, the presidents, the vice presidents, senators, congressmen, corporations, etc., banks. They can divest from the banks like Wells Fargo, who are deeply involved in funding this madness. And so there are very concrete actions we humans can take when we care about something, when it really hits us to the quick. We can do things, and these are very concrete things. People do listen to each other. They may try to block each other out. They try to deny what's going on. But we know that we get under people's skin when we are persistent and we are thinking for the overall common good, for the public good. And we're not just thinking about ourselves. It's not about yourself, not at all. In fact, I believe I embrace an idea called, in, uh, um, what is that idea? Anyway, that just escaped me. Um, enlightened self-management, basically. <laughs> that there's a way of 
enlightened self-interest, that it is in my interest to make sure that you are happy and that you are well fed and have shelter and medicine and education and joy and love in your life. It is in my interest, just as I would hope that it is in your interest, that I too am provided in such ways. But that's not how the world works. But it can. And that's the hope that I am holding out because I personally believe that most people, most of the time, are acting in very good faith and very good conscience with each other and want to do good by each other. A colloquialism, indeed, for each other. We really do. That's the zeitgeist of the human being. And it's a species-wide thing. It's not like I just had a wonderful upbringing and I was taught the right thing. And Well, you know, <clears throat> that may be true too. But that, I'm suggesting, is an outgrowth of a species-wide intelligence that we have to care for each other, to embrace the importance of service to each other and simple caring, that idea of sacred stewardship, that we are the stewards for each other, which also, by the way, includes ourselves. So I'm coming around to this idea, obviously, of who we are and what we can do, dealing with our own carbon footprint realizing that acquisition of things, the consumerist model, ideology, religion, is a rather vacuous one. And we should certainly acquire what it is we feel we need, and we ought to scrutinize what it is that drives us toward acquiring far beyond what we need. And there is room even in our society for acquiring what it is we like, not even just what we need. Let's say there is latitude, okay? This is not a straitjacket. This is experiencing love and joy and aesthetics and beauty and pleasure. That's okay. And beautiful things even. But what the program is, is don't consuming our society's success is measured by consumption and that my friends is where we have gone over the deep end crossed a vital line a red line we've crossed the red line and we're getting overheated as a result you know in cars there used to be dials before there were digits and the dial would go into the red zone. The car is heating up. It needs water. It needs to be turned off for a while. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. And it's quite literally heating up our planets. So being mindful of the way we travel, the amount of airline miles we clock, actually, is part of the, uh, the carbon footprint calculator, uh, 
the amount we drive and then contrasted by our use of public transportation, our feet, our bicycle riding, our running, you know, and the like. <clears throat> and what foods we consume and what are their sources. This is a very important part of the whole. And when we go organic and when we go biodynamic, we are doing good. And I'm encouraging more and more people to grow food in their own houses, in their own apartments. I think this is going to be hydroponics, aeroponics. I mean, there are fantastic breakthroughs that have come about in our society, educating us about different ways we can self-sustain. And that's where we're going, folks. I believe we are going to uh, greater localities. We may think globally. We may think galactically. We may think cosmically. Think universally. All that is good, but act locally. <laughs> so, uh, meaning, you know, local food, I mean, local shops, local building, building local economies, maybe even using local currency, local banks. Stop with the commercial global banking scene, you know, and use money wisely. Money is a form of energy. It's a form of life force in our modern society. didn't used to be, but it was added unto. And as long as it has been added unto, we better respect it. And um, wise, prudent use of money and not simply expend for expenditure's sake, i.e. consumerist model, referred to Exhibit A in prior paragraph. <laughs> Just having a little fun with you, that's all. But the subject I'm not having much fun with. The subject is very serious, and our minding, our own expenditure of energy from our own physical body, our mental body and our emotional bodies, all of this deserves to be kind of observed and witnessed and related to in a conscious way. And when we kind of conscribe ourselves in these kinds of ways and we note what the food sources are, what the clothing sources are, what the building material sources are sourced. <clears throat> we begin to lower that carbon footprint. We start to become more responsible for a future. And yes, I know it looks rather dim depending on what lens you wear, but I suggest that the energy of humanity outstrips even the uh, dimmest of perspectives and paradigms because, well, it's included in physics that there are miracles, what we refer to as miracles. And was it St. Augustine who said that it's not that Miracles are contrary to nature. It, they are contrary to those aspects we know of nature. So the waistband is rather large 
It's just that we do not understand all of the physics or metaphysics that allow what we've referred to as miracles to happen. So I really want to leave you with a message of hope here. Things are dire, and we need to take stock and take our own personal um, actions on all levels, personal, our body. I just outlined a bunch of them, including speaking up and letting the elected and unelected officials know how we feel. And everyone has a conscience, even when it's buried underneath a uh, plethora of belief systems and ideologies that keep people hardened to the truth, hard-hearted, uh, armored. But if you keep chipping away, you know, the old Taoist image of the soft overcomes the hard, the water wears down the rock. So that's the position we're in, folks. So just keep going. It's working. It's working slower than any of us would want, but it is working. And I believe that we can set up a human society. Shangri-La, anyone? We can set up a true Shambhala where people are enlightened and they are living in an enlightened way relative to treating the earth and all of her creatures, including our fellow species members, with dignity, with honor, with love, with compassion, with understanding, with humor, with a light touch, with kindness. It's just possible when we all come together under that rubric, under that banner, under that flag, the unified flag of a better world. Yay! Well, I think I've made my points for today, eh? The inner and outer ecology and landscapes. I hope you feel that way. And certainly, if you have any questions... Oh, isn't that interesting? I see somebody has called in, and I did say there would be room for questions. I said that by a chat beforehand. So I'm going to open this up and see if the person wants to weigh in for a moment here. I am Hello? checking and seeing if somebody wants to weigh in here. Hello there. Hey, how you doing? My name's Eli. Good, how are you? Pretty good. Excellent. Hey, Beautiful hey, place. I want to give you full disclosure. I'm a libertarian, conservative, a Tea Party guy. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I like I like to listen to opposing views, uh, particularly yeah. on climate change. Um, yeah, I'd like to. I, I think that the the left, and really, if you scratch a climate or a global warming advocate, they're always uh, a Marxist or a leftist in some way, shape, or form. But I'd like to ask you a couple <laughs> questions to see if you're aware. Okay. Just don't, don't scratch me too I mean, deep. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, it's obvious listening to you that you are. What's your name, sir? You're definitely not a conservative. My name's Eli from Virginia. Eli. Okay, Eli. Mitchell. Pleasure to meet you. Nice, Please go nice on. To meet you. And by the way, I enjoyed your uh, your your talk. I enjoyed listening to, uh, as I said, the opposing views, especially liberals. Um, but I especially the which? Bostock ice court. Pardon me? Uh, what what do you enjoy, enjoy especially? 
Oh, I like to listen to uh, uh, those with opposing views. I think it yeah, has knowledge to the subject, and I can, I can, yeah. maybe we can uh, educate. Um, yeah. Are you aware of the Vostok Ice Core sample data? Uh, the Russian Siberian ice measurements that they're doing. Um, I'm, I've been a little aware of it. I actually saw a really interesting show. Let me know if this relates to it, uh, where there is a measurement of permafrost. Does that involve that? Possibly at a peripheral level. But what they do is they drill into the the pristine ice. It hasn't been disturbed for at least a million years. And by drilling in there, they can pull out a core. And then based on the yeah. depth, presumably, they can analyze the gases and, and determine the temperature and the CO2 content points in history. Yeah. Um, we, we've had global warming to the extent that we have today in regular cyclical periods about every 125,000 years for as far back as we can see. Mm-hmm. So if, if man is, to the best of my knowledge, <laughs> saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths didn't drive SUVs. And yet we still had global warming. And again, if you look at the data, it's cyclical. Yes. It's a very, very clean, clean, clear pattern. That I think I know where you're going with this, Eli. Yeah. Well, that's just I one think I know where you're going. More the, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, debunking me, the, the notion of anthropogenic warming. Yeah. Can I weigh in? And then, you know, you'll oh. correct me as you see fit um, or provide uh, an opposing view. So let's just say you brought up two subjects. One is if you scratch the surface of a of an environmentalist or someone who talks about climate change, you're going to find a Marxist or a communist or something like that. That's one, you know, perspective that, you know, is not very scientific, right? I think we could agree with that. Um, and General, also there's General. an inherent assumption that there's something wrong with someone who is a Marxist or a communist. And that's a whole other subject that deserves scrutiny as well. But I'm going to put that one aside and deal just with the subject that I think you're raising here and, and, and prudently of anthropogenic um, climate change. So I'll just tell you where I come from. I'm wholly aware of the cyclical nature of this thing we call global warming and the cyclical nature of what we call global cooling. I have no, how do you argue with nature? As you're saying, the ice samples show. And uh, also observation. Climatologists have been making observations for years and make inferences. So there's no question that there is a cyclical nature to the warming and cooling of the planet. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what I feel is the role of humans in helping to, and this transcends any politics, this is just humans on the level of species. Like, what is our role? We're the only ones with this wild and woolly brain and imagination that doesn't accord with natural cycles the way everyone else does, the birds and the bees and everyone else. We can we go and do the things we do. We develop technologies. It's remarkable. I, I think it's fantastic. But we can also step outside of and offend, violate natural processes by so doing. And that is the part that I refer to when I talk about human beings' role 
there is an anthropogenic role. It's not like it's not happening, but it's happening at a certain cyclical pacing. And I'm suggesting, as are a zillion climatologists, that we are hastening that pacing so much that we're suffering as a result. That's what I'm point. My point. Number one, are you are you aware of the radiative forcing of CO2? This is science. This is not conjecture, computer model. The, say it again. What's that word? Radiative. Are you, are you familiar with the, the science of the? Uh, basically, it's a law. It involves a radiative forcing of CO2 in the atmosphere no, please, tell or me. any other system. No, please share. I'm not. I'm what not a scientist by training whatsoever. So I'm always interested and open to learning from people who are. What happens when you have CO2 at a level it's at today, as you increase its, its concentration in the atmosphere, its effects on temperature are significantly less than it, were, than it was when it went from zero to 400 parts per million. So it's a logarithmic relationship between uh, CO2 concentration in the atmosphere and temperature. So we could have a doubling of CO2 at this level and it would have a negligible, negligible impact on temperature. There's six. This is even in the IPCC um, report. report. It's in Chapter 6, it's the radiative forcing of, of uh, CO2 or climate change. So I think, and there's another issue that man is a natural, we're, we're part of this environment. We're not alien to this environment. And, see, right. and, and, and we are lucky that we're living in an era of warming because over the past Two decades, we've seen significant increase in agriculture output despite spending less money per acre. And we've had less people starving during this period when we have supposed uh, crisis of global warming. We have more people coming out of starvation. And my last point is that, that you can't stop climate change from occurring by, by gutting our economy, particularly when the Chinese and the Indians are making a significantly less amount of money per person than we are, and in order for them to advance to the next level into the first world, they're going to have to use carbon fuels. And indeed, China is building a coal plant every day. So in order for us to check climate change, we could, the United States could stop spewing CO2 to tomorrow, and it would do little to change the, the impact of CO2 in the atmosphere because of what these countries are merging from the third world. So it, we, we will gut our economy to, do, to, to take action that won't have any effect on, on global warming. I think that's a, a big mistake. Hmm. Well, uh, your points are certainly interesting. The radiative uh, point that you made is certainly interesting and not one that I was familiar with at all. But, you know, I, I'm going to just circle back for a moment, Eli, and um, talk about common sense. And... Uh, some common sense is actually even governed by science. There's a natural absorption of CO2 by trees and plants when we, I'm going to keep it on a local level, okay, when we exhale, and they in turn, we've got this wonderful O2 CO2 exchange, right? What happens when you eliminate one half of that ratio? Like, the felling of the Amazon rainforest, or the Congo for that matter, 
you end up not having an even exchange anymore because the half of the half of the deal has virtually if not disappeared it's tremendously diminished so you're going to get a buildup of CO2 no matter what and that's a natural imbalance this is my science okay and I've not studied science formally at all hardly 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 I'd have to go all the way back to uh, high school um, so but it just makes common sense that you want all of the elements that nature provided for there to be a harmonious natural cycle so I as I said before I completely agree I have no issue with the idea that everything is a cycle anyway including temperatures rising and going down but I think you know I'll tell you this the way I actually usually premise the whole conversation is I don't like pollution I don't like breathing foul air I don't like drinking foul water I don't like soil that has been polluted with chemicals and I bet that you and I agree on that so for me the climate change conversation is actually an outgrowth and and there are scientists and there are so-called lefty climatologists who would disagree with me by the way um, that the most important thing for us to be focused on is to bloody stop polluting that's where I come from and if we did that I think we would simultaneously go far in being responsible for our carbon footprint the way we humans are 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 um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for or uh, I don't want to say enhancing but um, furthering the speed of the global warming natural cycle it's my point of view I share a lot of your sentiment. Yeah. I share and, a lot and of about your the Chinese. About the Chinese. Let me. I'll just add, and the Indians, for that matter. I'll, I'll add a little something. They may be building, uh, you know, the way you're saying, um, a coal-fired uh, plant a day, but they're also doing a huge amount on the so-called green side. And I know personally because I helped to build an electric motor company that um, that the Chinese are deeply interested in. I was involved in a wind turbine company that the Chinese were all over. They love and they, they are smart enough to want to avoid all of the mistakes that we in the West have made about pollution. Well, they, you know, believe me, I've been to China a few times. I know the pollution and they've already made so many mistakes, but they're trying to pull themselves out. So while you're right, I know about the, the plants that are being built, you know, and I think that's tragic. I think they're doing that out of desperation, not out of desired outcome, because their people are choking. Then they have the medical expenses to deal with, you know. It's a never-ending cycle. And I, I'm, I'm going to go one other step, if you don't mind, Eli. That's to say... I don't believe in the whole idea of bloody competition at all, that we have to outdo them and they are going to try to outdo us. And we're in, it's just another form of battle. It's just it's military thinking engaged in the economic model. 
And I think that personally stinks. I think there's a way of I'm now it's, I'm not actually a communist. I am. I, I I embrace a lot of libertarian views. By the way, I like a lot of it, but I don't think human beings are ready for it. I don't think human beings are mature enough for a libertarian perspective. That's just, and that's why we need regulations and everything because they've always got their hands in the cookie jar because our brain development is still reptilian. It's not developed in the higher levels that would have us want to be taking good care of each other and looking out for each other's well-being, the way you do in a family. How come we can't take that same model of the way you care about your wife and your children and just kind of globalize it, not just nationalize? You know, it's, in other words, I think about the species. I stopped thinking about all of the distinctions, cultural and geographical distinctions. It's a species. We're all in it together. Let's do the right thing by each other. So maybe, similarly, the world isn't ready for what I'm saying either. You know, Not ready for the libertarian, and they're not ready for the cooperation model. It's possible, you know. But listen, I really appreciate well, your interest. interestingly... I'd be willing to bet back in 1776 when we had, I think, no democracies on the planet, that the kings or the monarchs didn't think people were ready for democracy. The same way you've mentioned that we're not ready for freedom. But getting back to the CO2, I think you make some valid points with respect to pollution. I'm talking about acid rain and and other uh, particulates in the atmosphere that – and by the way, I lived in Detroit back in the 1960s, and you could drive outside the city, and you could see a brown haze over the – over the city, and you don't see that yes. now. And I thank left liberals like environmentalists for, for cleaning up the atmosphere, and I commend you for that. But I yeah, think you're damaging you. the cause by focusing on CO2, which is essentially a boogeyman. And, and, and yes. you're, you're detracting, you're, you're, you're hurting your credibility, you're dividing yes. us politically, and, and you're, you're minimizing your ability to make real substantive change on, on environmental issues that really matter. Like, for, for example, yes. uh, the, the Amazon Basin. But yes. um, I think that if, I hear if we're going to get philosophical, I believe that the only system that is viable and fair and just is one that is based on peaceful and voluntary exchange. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is libertarianism. But, but what many yes. on the IPCC or the, the UN and, and, and many that support this climate change, they believe in coercion. And they believe yes. that they want to dictate to sovereign people, free people, how to run their life. And they want to do it by force. Yes. If you can't convince yes. somebody to spend their money or to act in a certain way by virtue of your argument and persuasion in a peaceful and voluntary manner, then what you're telling them to do or what you're forcing them to do is unjust and it's unsustainable. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's a very valid point, and I, I agree with you philosophically on that note completely the coercion is not right at all it has no place and the peaceful and voluntary uh, way is the way <laughs> I mean, that's not asking too much and I, I really do agree with you and as far as the co2 point that you made um interestingly even though i said all that i did I don't make CO2 out as the boogeyman. In fact, I, 
I rather resent that idea because CO2, from my point of view, is as God-given as O2 and everything else. To be there, it needs to be there. My only issue is that our human practices, industrial, commercial, and personal, tend to change the ratio between oxygen and uh, CO2 exchange, and that skews the system. And that's where there's uh, an abundance of one. It's disproportionate. That's my issue. It's not with CO2 itself. That's absurd. That's like saying, you know, I don't like right arms. You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't have a place in rational discourse. But to recognize that there's disproportion, like there's too much lead in the water for, you know, uh, safe drinking, that's a problem. We've got issues of disproportion. So, I don't know. I, I very much that, appreciate are, it. Yeah. Are, well, you're aware that CO2, there's, it lags. In previous incidents of the global warming, it lagged temperature by up to 800 years. So you have a temperature rise, and, and the overwhelming majority, over 90% of the CO2 is captured in the ocean. So obviously when, you, when the temperature increases through some other um, a geological or, or uh, atmospheric change or natural cyclical yeah. change, then that, yes. that temperature causes CO2, the, the ocean water to evaporate and add CO2 content in the atmosphere, which is in the normal cyclical nature of things, it, 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 it creates yeah. or adds uh, nutrients to the plant life. And I'm looking around in America, now I fly over the United States and I'm flying over to China and, and different places around the world, and all you see is green. So I think at some yeah. point we may see a cyclical change where the n- nature will correct itself or, or, or correct the imbalance. But for mankind to be so arrogant to think that we, number one, have, have impact on it when our contribution is negligible and, and, and whether we can, we can actually change it. I mean, even John Kerry said that we can't stop global warming. So instead of right. trying to stop the march of progress, and, and I'm referring to fossil fuels, let's try to find a way to mitigate the, the outcomes or the consequences of global warming. And there, there's many po- positives associated with it. Like I said, our agriculture output has increased significantly in the last two decades. Yeah. And we've got, gotten a lot of people out of starvation. That's, that's, for, that. that's for lots of reasons. That's for lots of reasons that, that we could um, come up with to explain that. But, you know, I, we're not I, – of course we can't stop global warming. That, that, that's like saying I'm going to stop the rain. You know, no, it's not going to happen. But you can change the speed. That's what I was saying before, Eli, stopping the speed at which it's happening because then adaptation gets thrown off. That's what I think we're doing. I don't want to – can't change it. And we all have to just be honest that we all die. And so, like, kind of, let's get over that one. But can we die grace, gracefully, you know, in the natural order of things, or are we gonna, you know, uh, die in some other way? I, I may sound funny, but that's one thing to think about. And I will also say this on a, on a closing note, because we're just about out of time here, um, and that is the idea of a renewable energy economy, because you keep bringing up that subject, I think is a very important one, of you said the phrase, you know, are we going to basically, um, paraphrasing, trash our economy uh, 
just because we think that fossil fuels are not a good thing. Well, you see, I don't see it that way at all. It's not trashing the economy when, in fact, a much more robust economy is waiting for us when we turn to free photons instead of limited dinosaur remains. We have free photons. We have free wind. And harnessing it is becoming more and more sophisticated, Eli, and it's being done for pennies on the dollar at this point. It's clean. There's no pollution. It's easy. It's in accordance with nature. Why extract, excavate, haul across the world, pollute, um, uh, spills everywhere? Look at BP. Look at Exxon. Oh, my God. What a mess. Killing marine species all over the place. And it also concentrates economic power into the hands of the few, whereas this new renewable energy model that I've talked about on this show many times, and I've had the wonderful economist on Hazel Henderson, who has done very deep research into this, into making that transition to a renewable energy economy, um, you see the smart sense of it. Now, no matter what, we have to be straight about it. That's not happening overnight. And oil also has uses that don't require it being burned. So this is not a black and white overnight kind of change. There are $7.4 trillion, Eli, already invested in green and renewable energy. And it's not going away. It's only so you take somebody like a Trump and he says, I want more jobs. Well, I'm going to say that there are a whole lot more jobs putting in solar panels on houses across America and putting in wind turbines that are more tasteful than those ugly three, you know, bladed ones. And I've got access to them. Um, and we would have an entire geothermal microhydro, there are a dozen different really interesting technologies that are available that would not require the, the distorted geopolitical situation we currently find ourselves in. Let me make one last ugly point, which is that we have become bedfellows with one of the most oppressive, primitive societies on our planet and that is Saudi Arabia. We sold our soul for their oil. And that's sick. That's mentally sick. And look at what they're doing right now. Look at who we what? have as a bedfellow. Yeah, and as a libertarian, you should, be, you should be greatly offended by that, right? Well, I know there's some else Excuse you can agree on. No, I think America should be energy independent. But we can agree on this, and I, I'm pretty sure we can, is that government should not provide subsidies or tax credits to any form of energy. That if, if, if alternative energy can best fossil fuels in a, in, a, in a free, peaceful, and voluntary market, then so be it. And I think it will eventually. But the worst yes. thing we can do is to enlist government on one side or the other. Government should not have the yes. power to pick winners or losers in the energy industry. And number two, 
and government's been deficient, and I'm speaking specifically about the Obama administration. Nobody went to jail for the Deepwater Horizon uh, tragedy. And that is right. a, that's symptomatic of a government that has too much power, that is not that's afraid right. of the people, and, it, and, and right. government and industry. And industry isn't – the government isn't bought and paid by industry, uh, corrupt industries. They're, bought and, they're bought, bought and paid by corrupt, inefficient industries who need government yes. to survive against competition yes. that it, it, yes. is more fruitful. So I think we can yes. agree on that. Like, get government out of the yes, equation. Get the courts in there when we have an externality where they can be adjudicated, and we can punish the offenders. Yes, yes. Eli, if I could reach down to Virginia with my arm, I'd shake your hand. Oh, likewise, sir. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much for calling. And, you know, if you go to my website, abetterworld.tv, under Radio Archive, or no, actually, just put in the name Hazel Henderson. She's 84 years old. She is a powerhouse. Uh, I love that woman. Just put her name, Hazel Henderson, under Radio Archive, and listen to a little of what she has to say. I think you'd be very impressed with the the economics of the renewable energy um, economy. It's very sexy. And, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that, okay? Well, thank you, sir. I will. Absolutely. I'm so glad you called. I so appreciated the dialogue. Bye-bye now. Well, that's very heartening. Eli is obviously a very intelligent and a learned man who brought up some very good points. And uh, I, I learned from that exchange because, like, the, the radiative, radiative aspect of what he was talking about and the logarithmic aspect is something I did not know. I did not know that there was an 800-year lag either. Um, so that's all very interesting. There are points of science that do need to be digested and one does not want to just make some kind of clean sweep in one direction without factoring in all of the variables one can it's just not that simple and i therefore appreciate everything that he had to share anyway i want to thank you all for sharing all that you do with me and i'm going to give you my email address So you can write to me. I always appreciate hearing from you at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net, and uh, share your thoughts with me, your comments. Do you enjoy the shows? Which ones in particular? It's really good to hear from you. It's meaningful to me. So, again, can go to our website. Uh, to get the newsletter, you can also um, donate. We are a nonprofit organization, and we appreciate your donations, which help us. I like to think of them as investments in a better world to help us create a better world through greater ed- education, um, like today's show, like uh, the inspiration, God willing, that it generates. So. Pass this show also on to your friends and family and colleagues and adversaries so they too can think along these lines and either agree or disagree, but certainly be stimulated. So thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. (laughs) 